All right. Well, hey, we've got, uh, as the song says, a long way to go and a short time to get there. We got a lot that we're going to be covering today. May 23rd is Pentecost Sunday. That's the birthday of the church, not just this church, but the church. If you are a believer in Christ, you are part of his church. And the birth of his church took place on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts. So we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to lay a lot of foundation, and there's a lot of information, okay? So I need everyone to make sure you've got your brains turned on, right? We need a little cerebral activity this morning, and we're going to tie the entire Word of God right into the day of Pentecost. You know, a lot of times within our Christian faith, we don't really, really uh, you know, there's, there's a whole Pentecostal movement uh, that, that kind of bases a lot of their things on the day of Pentecost. Uh, there's, but, but even with that, you know, hey, I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Personally, we, we're, we're a hodgepodge of different type of Christians here. Uh, but even growing up within the, the Pentecostal movement, I wasn't necessarily taught the deep meaning of what Pentecost is all about. You know, we were taught about what happened that day, uh, and we're about to read it. But what we're going to find out today, we're going to lay the foundation of what exactly God did on the day of Pentecost. Someone said, well, he did something new. Actually, no, he didn't. He did something old, but he did it in a new fashion and to start a new chapter. And you're going to find out by the end of this message, you're going to see just how entrenched his covenant and his promise to you is. And you're going to see how beautifully woven the word of God is. That, that everything God did in the Old Testament is not as if he's doing something brand new. It's just types and shadows and patterns to exhibit what he's doing in our life, even today. That you, every single day, you can experience Pentecost. Every time we come to church, we actually experience Pentecost. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But you guys ready? You guys ready? Get your thinking caps on. Bear with me. We're, we're going to be like, uh, you ever watch, you remember the old cartoon Mr. Peabody and Sherman. You remember that? And he's always flying through space and, and, and time and going, jumping back in time, all that stuff. Well, we're going to be doing a lot of time travel. So, but let's start out with the second chapter of Acts, Acts chapter two, starting with verse one. Okay. This is what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. Before we start reading in Acts chapter one, Jesus, it's the account of Jesus ascending into heaven. You remember, we just got through talking about the 40 days after the resurrection, he hung out for 40 days then he ascended. Well, right before he ascended, his disciples were asking him, hey, are, are you about to overthrow the Roman government, kick them out of here so that we don't, we're not occupied by the Romans? They still thought that that's why he was there, to liberate them from the Romans. They didn't understand that he came to liberate all of us, the entire world, from the power of sin. Forget about governments. Man, we just, we're all bound by sin. And he came to liberate us. And so he said, he said this, he goes, look, nobody knows the date or the time, not even me. Only the father knows when that's going to take place. And that's for him to decide. He said, but I need you to get ready because you're going to be endued with power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, this was huge because prior, now the Holy Spirit was not anything new. The Holy Spirit would actually come upon people in the Old Testament. You know, if you read the account of Samson, the Holy Spirit would come on Samson and he would do these great, mighty feats of strength. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Joshua and Caleb whenever they went and scouted out the land. The Holy Spirit would come upon David and he would sing a prophetic song. Uh, it would come upon prophets. It, it actually came upon King Saul right before he was anointed king. He actually sang a prophetic song. So, so the Holy Spirit would come upon certain individuals to empower them for certain deeds that God needed done. 
Now, Jesus is telling this group, no, you're going to receive power because the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, on us. I said, yeah. He said, I want you to go wait for it. And then he takes off. He gets beamed up, <laughs> you know. All of a sudden, he ascends into the sky, and all the disciples are standing there looking, trying to, trying to look up into the cloud in which he disappeared. And they realize two angels are standing down, standing down there with him. And they said, what, what are you looking in the sky for? This Jesus that just left, he's going to return in the same manner. But in the meantime, go wait for what he said to wait for. So they did. They went back to the upper room where they had had Passover just, just a few, few weeks prior. They went back to the upper room and they began to wait. They, the Bible says they tarried. There was about 120 of his followers that were hanging out in the upper room. And so when the day of Pentecost, which was the 50th day, the word Pentecost just means 50, the 50th day after Passover. Remember, Jesus, Jesus was crucified just, just at the top of Passover. So 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, this is what happens, okay? We'll, we'll all read together. Bear with us. We're getting another projector for this other side. They're, they're kind of working all that out. So, you know, how did the Apostle Paul handle technical difficulties when he was trying to preach, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound. Everyone say sound. There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. Anyone ever been in a tornado? You know how it's, it's I remember when I was in eighth grade, a tornado hit my school. And, and we thought, you know, we were, I was sitting in Spanish class. I, I, I thought a train, like how is a train coming by our school? It's, it's just this roar you know, or if you've been in incredibly high winds, there's just, it almost sounds like a, like a horn, you know, so they're starting to hear the sound and it's filling, it says, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, so, so they're already hearing this incredible sound like a windstorm blowing through, right? Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Think about it. Put yourself in that position. We're sitting here having church. All of a sudden, you start hearing this, this sound. Sounds like a tornado whizzing by or a train or a horn or, or you know, just blowing like crazy, just super loud. And then we start looking around and there's flames cropping up on top of everyone's head. That's some pretty crazy stuff, right? And every per, everyone present, everyone say Everyone. Everyone, not just a scattering of folks in the Old Testament, but now everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability at that time. So that's pretty crazy, too. All of a sudden, they start speaking all these different languages, right? So you got loud noise, you got fire, you got all these different languages being spoken. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, what were they hearing? They're hearing a horn, wind, something blowing. They're, they're hearing you know, this ruckus of 120 people speaking a, a, you know, a bunch of different languages. When they, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They, complete, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. Galilee was a very blue collar area. Wasn't a lot of educated people, mainly a bunch of fishermen. How are these people all of a sudden multilingual? You know, they're, they're just kind of freaking out about this. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. 
Here we have Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, 120 people start speaking all these foreign languages. All these people show up. They just listed 16 different languages there. These people show up, and what they're hearing these people speak is the gospel, the wonderful things that God has done, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, when God was birthing his church, he made sure that the good news was being spoken in every known language of that time. Isn't that crazy? It's pretty powerful. Verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? Now that question is actually really deep and we're gonna get into why they asked that question. Verse 13, but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, <laughs> that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. Gotta love Peter. He said, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too, much too early for that. He's like, eh, they the, the bars ain't even open. Come on, man, they're not drunk. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He starts quoting from the book of Joel, right? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Everyone say all. All. That means everyone has access to receive the Holy Spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, this is crazy. It's showing how the Holy Spirit gets to do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't have to follow our rules. Typically, children are not going to be the ones prophesying back in the old days. It would be the adults. Kids, stay in your place. No, he says, no, your sons and daughter, they're going to prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Now, visions were usually reserved for older men, older men and women, sages, mystics, those who have lived a long life and have experienced a lot of things. They are the ones that say, no, he says, no, your young men are going to see vision, and then your old men will dream dreams. Now, wait a minute. Young men are supposed to be the ones to have dreams. I have a dream. I want to go to college. I want to get married. I want to have a house. I want to have a family. I want to provide. I want to achieve these goals. Old men aren't supposed to be the one to dream dreams because they don't have enough time left to fulfill those dreams. That was the, the thought. But according to the Holy Spirit, he said, no, no, no. Hey, I'm going to let young men see visions and old men get to dream too. They get to have goals. They get to have a future. Why? Because I'm turning everything upside down. And he says, in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, that's how the church started. Peter began to preach a sermon right after that. He preached the gospel message. He did such a good job about it. It says that a little over 3,000 people became believers that day. So they went from being a house church to a mega church in one sermon. I've never done anything that cool yet, so, but there's time. That's right. <laughs> dreaming dreams. Dreaming dreams. Uh, hey, now we, I will say this, we, we, have, we have added 11 people in the last three weeks, so that's not bad. We're, we're almost there. 
Now I got 2,900, you know, you know what I mean. (laughs) Now, what does all this mean? The day of Pentecost. This seems really crazy. It seems different. It seems new. Actually, what it was, it was old. What took place was not anything new. And when they sat there and asked the question, what, whoa, wait a minute, what does this mean? Because they, they recognized what was happening. And to every believer who understood who Jesus was as the Lamb of God, it clicked as, as to what was about to take place. Now, the problem is sometimes uh, in, in the early, early days of, of Christianity, about the time that the Roman government federalized Christianity, they wanted to make it very Roman. And so, and so what they did was they, Christianity was seen as an offshoot of Judaism. So they kind of removed some of the, uh, the, the Jewish custom and tradition from the early Christians and, and made things really Roman. And so we can miss out on a lot of these things. So, so what I'm going to do is kind of sink it back into the Old Testament real quick. So y'all ready? Let's hop in time. We're going to go through a lot of scripture, but bear with me. I promise it will make sense if you kind of hang on with me. Y'all ready? We got to talk about the covenant. We got to go all the way back to God's covenant with Abram. And we talked about it last summer. Those of you who were here last summer, this, the, everything that God does points back to this covenant right here. And, it, and the first time he stated it, it was in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, the Lord had said to Abram, remember, leave your native country, your relatives, and your fa- father's family, and go to the land which I will show you. In other words, leave every part of your security, your, your identity, your family, your country, everything that you identify with, Die out to that and come with me. I got something for you. I will make you into a great nation, not your father's house. I will bless you and make you famous, not your father's riches. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, he expanded and elaborated on it in coming chapters But that's the core of God's covenant and his covenant to us because Paul says we've been grafted as Gentiles through Christ. We've been grafted into this covenant. And it basically, this is the covenant and it applies to us today. If you'll let go of everything and just trust me, I will take care of you. Even through hard times, I'm gonna take care of you. Even when it doesn't make sense, I'm gonna take care of you. If you'll just trust me and have faith I will be your God. You will be my people. That's the simplicity of the covenant, right? Now, fast forward, uh, Abraham's great-grandson Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. You remember the story? But it was all for for a wonderful purpose. By the time a drought hits and his family comes to Egypt to search for help, Joseph has received enough favor. He is now second in charge over all Egypt. The only person he had to answer to was Pharaoh himself. He was one of the most powerful men in the, in the known world. And so he was able to reconcile his family back to him, give them a piece of property over in Goshen to where they could be protected during the famine. And for about 400 years, they hung out there and they multiplied. Now things got rough. They started getting oppressed by the system and by the government and by the, 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 the pharaohs that came after the original pharaoh that they, that they knew. They didn't have favor. They, turned in, they were made to be slaves. 
and they started crying out to God. We all know the story, right? And then God raises up who? Moses. God raises up Moses to get them out of Egypt. And we remember the story of the plagues and all that stuff. And, and Pharaoh kept saying, nope, you're not going to leave. You're not going to leave. And Moses would say, let my people go. And finally, if you remember what happened, let's, 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 let's see what God did with this covenant. He's instituting a covenant. So a covenant is made in Genesis 12, which we just made, which we just talked about, right? And the word covenant means to cut, to cut at a place of bleeding. Uh, then in Exodus 12, God institutes Passover. So to, to remind you what Passover was, you remember God, God said, look, I want all my people to take a lamb or a goat and, and kill it and take the blood of that lamb or goat and apply it to either side of the door frames and on top of the door frame. And, and tonight, I'm going to send my death angel, I'm going to send my wrath to kill all the firstborn born sons in Egypt. But if you'll do this, if you'll take the blood of the lamb, apply it to your doorpost, eat the lamb, go ahead, go ahead and cook it and eat it in a hurry. Don't, don't take time. You're not going to sit there and leisurely eat it. I want you to eat it. I want you to eat it with uh, bitter salad greens. In other words, you can't cook them greens down and make them t taste good. You're just going to have to eat them, right? Why? Because we're going to be in a hurry. You're not staying where you're at. I'm going to deliver you. When God wants to deliver you, it, it's an instant thing sometimes, right? So you're not going to stay where you're at. And he said, matter of fact, you're going to eat bread without yeast, unleavened bread. I'm dropping all these because we're, we're going to cover it next week. Everyone say next week. And if anyone misses, if somebody missed, you need to tell them, go back and listen to the podcast. Otherwise, they may be a little lost next week. Okay, we're laying foundation. So, so he, says, he says, okay, I don't want you to put no yeast in your bread because you're not going to have time to let it rise. Just, just eat it. Eat some tortillas, all right? So he said, eat, just go ahead and eat those raw, bitter salad greens and, and eat the lamb or the goat really quick because when I say go, you're going to go. And so that night the wrath of God or the angel of death passed over all of their houses because the blood of the lamb was applied to the houses, right? See, some of the light bulbs are going off for some of you, right? And so right after that, what took place? They're hightailing it out, right? Pharaoh says, get out of here. Get out of here. My son's dead. Get out. And then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He goes in hot pursuit of them, right? What happens next? So we have Passover, Exodus 12. Exodus 14, we have the Red Sea. You remember the story? Moses parts the sea. The children of Israel cross into the sea, come out on the other side. They went into the Red Sea as slaves on the run. They came out on the other side as a victorious free nation, conquering nation. Pretty powerful, right? The enemy went into the Red Sea, didn't come out on the other side. Paul in 1 Corinthians compares that to baptism. That was their baptism. Just like with us, when we were baptized into Christ, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we were baptized into Christ, everything that the enemy has pursued us with, we, we, we are slave, uh, uh, slaves to sin. We are baptized into Christ, right? We, we emerge resurrected as a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have been made new. So we have this Red Sea baptism experience, right? Now they're free. Now look what takes place in Exodus 19. They find themselves at Mount Sinai. Everyone say Sinai. Sinai. Mount Sinai. Exodus 19. Starting with, uh, I'm sorry, actually, I've got it wrong. It's actually verse 5. I, I messed up up there, so pardon me. Uh, starting with verse 5, 
God restates the covenant to Abraham or to Moses. The same covenant that he spoke to Abraham. Everyone still with me? The same covenant in Genesis 12 that he spoke to Abraham, he restates because he's about to give his word, his law. He's about to state the terms of this covenant that, hey, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to have your back. Just have faith in me. And it still has to do with faith. He tells Moses, he says, now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, which covenant? The one that he promised Abraham. You will be my, special, my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom. See, he's still talking about making us a great nation. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now, and what he says, he has not even given the terms of the contract yet or the terms of the covenant. He said, do you agree to obey my covenant? And all of Israel said, by faith, they said, yep, let's do it. Then he said, okay, now let's talk about the terms. He said, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God, and I'm about to tell you how you are going to be my people. This is how you conduct myself as my people, right? Let's hop to verse 16. This is what took place, right? Now, now, you remember we have Passover. What took place next? The Red, Red Sea. 50 days, the rabbis will tell you, that teach the Torah will tell you, 50 days after Passover, God starts giving the law of Moses, or the Torah. He starts ratifying and giving the terms of the covenant that he made prior to them going into Egypt. It says, on the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So that all the people are gathered around Mount Sinai at this time. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. So he goes up. Everyone else is still at the base of the mountain. God's thundering all this stuff, right? And there's pyro going off. There's smoke. There, things are trembling, and, and people are intimidated. And then he goes on, and he gives the Ten Commandments. And if you look, if you study the law, the Ten Commandments is the syllabus for the rest of the law. It's basically saying, hey, this is what we're about to talk about. These Ten Commands, this is, this is a synopsis or the cliff notes of how you are going to conduct yourself as my people. Now, I will, I will go into detail with the law. And that's, that was God's teaching agenda, right? So he booms the Ten Commandments. Now, rabbis will teach you. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, amazing how they teach this. According to tradition... When God spoke the Ten Commandments, everyone heard it. Now, keep in mind, Egypt was an international hub at the time. It was the center of commerce for the known world. 
which means multiple languages were being spoken. So these Hebrews were probably very multilingual with all the work that they were doing. God spoke, they teach that God spoke his commandments in every known language so that everyone could understand the word of God. And they also teach that, that this was a full sensory experience for the Hebrews, that they weren't just hearing God and his voice. They could feel him and his voice. They could taste him and his voice. They could smell him and his voice. That's right, taste. <laughs> they, could, they could see him and his voice. It, it was information overload. It was like nothing they had ever experienced. That's why... That's why they respond like this. If you hop to verse 20, it says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the sweat, which interestingly enough, the flashes of lightning, the Hebrew word for lightning actually means a flaming beacon light, right? So it's not even necessarily lightning like what we say. It, it, it means a, like a flaming lamp or, or fiery beacon, and smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear, and they said to Moses, they couldn't take it. After hearing just the Ten Commandments and experiencing it in such a full sensory capacity, they said, you speak to us, Moses, and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we're gonna die. They, they, it was just, they were, they were fearful and overloading. So, so God goes on and, and finishes the law talking to Moses, okay? So there's a pattern. This is the pattern, okay? So you remember, we have God given a covenant, and then they find themselves to be slaves. He gives Passover to set them free from slavery. Then they have a baptism or a death, burial, resurrection, and then he ratifies the covenant with big pyro demonstrations and multilingual stuff going on, right? So Jeremiah chapter 31 is a powerful prophecy because Israel was having a hard time keeping their end of the bargain and the covenant. And God in his grace and mercy says this, finally. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people. Ooh, what is the new covenant? What, well, that's what he said it is. This is what I, the, the, new, the new covenant, after those days, he says, I will put my instructions, not on tablets anymore, but I'm going to put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's the same heartbeat that he always had. It's the same God. It's a different approach that he's using. Now he's not going to give a list of laws, but he's going to take that law, that thought, and put it deep within his people, right? And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. Why? Because... The law is already going to be in them. He's planting it deep within them per this covenant. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Woo, what does that sound like? Exactly what Jesus did for us. 
So we understand at this point in the game that, hey, he's prophesying about Jesus and what Jesus was going to do. Jesus comes along and he talks about the covenant. You remember the, the Last Supper? He said, it's really ironic. He said, here, eat, take this bread. It's my body. Eat it. Why? Because it's broken for you. Now, now everyone kind of think, you remember there was another meal that we just talked about called the Passover meal. And they had to take a lamb. Jesus is the, you remember John the Baptist before he baptized him, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the, of the world. Pointing to Jesus as this lamb. And matter of fact, look what Jesus said about his blood. Matthew 26, 28. He starts talking about this covenant in Jeremiah. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant. What covenant? The covenant from Jeremiah. What's wonderful, it's the same covenant that God made with Abraham. Have you ever grown things in your garden? I remember one time I was growing lettuce. Man, I had lettuce like crazy. I had a garden. I was growing lettuce. I had so much lettuce, I couldn't get out there to eat enough lettuce, right? I couldn't just get that much roughage in my system, right? So, so all of a sudden... All of a sudden, like the heads of lettuce looks like they're starting to wilt. And you're like, well, so much for that one. No, all of a sudden, another stalk shoots up out of that head, and another head starts, like from the same plant. It's the same plant. It's just a new head of lettuce. That's what this covenant is. The Lord allowed through Christ, it's the same covenant. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I've got your back. I'm going to take care of you if you'll just have faith. But now it's a, it's, a new, it's a new bloom out of the old bloom. And that's what Christ is talking about. So let's, let's look at what, how does this tie into Pentecost? Let's look at what's going on from Sinai to the upper room. We have a covenant promised. There's a new covenant promise. Jesus talked about it, right? Hey, I'm bringing a new covenant to you. There's, it's, it's the same God. It's just a fresh way of exhibiting your faith to get into him. There's a Passover sacrifice. You had to sacrifice a lamb or a goat. Jesus is the lamb of God that was sacrificed. He was also our scapegoat, right? There was a burial in the Red Sea. Christ was buried in a tomb. There was a resurrection or a coming out of the Red Sea. Christ went into the tomb, the lamb of God carrying the sins of the world. He emerged from the tomb as a conquering savior, they went into the Red Sea as slaves. They came out as a conquering nation, right? Sinai, this incredible pyrotechnic shaking of the world, <laughs> took place 50 days after Passover. Pentecost, this incredible shaking and birthing of a new church, took place 50 days after the crucifixion. What God was doing for them was taking something that they learned from the time they were children, which was the history of their forefathers, and he was doing it again right in front of them so that they were aware on the day of Pentecost, this is a Sinai moment. He is ratifying, some, oh, he's ratifying the new covenant. He made a new covenant with us, a new way to get to the promises of Abraham. It's the same God, it's just a fresh take on faith. Look at, look at the similarities between Sinai, there's swirling smoke, upper room, rushing wind, roaring noises at Sinai, like a ram's horn, a loud sound like a, like, like a windstorm or, or a blowing of a train horn, 
of the upper room. Sinai, there were beacon lights of flames, lightning. Flames sat upon each of them in the upper room. God's word boomed in every language on Mount Sinai. The gospel was spoken in every major language on the day of Pentecost. Isn't it beautiful how the word of God is all woven together? How everything that God did prior was to show patterns of what he was going to do in the earth, not just 2,000 years ago in an upper room, but right here in our midst. The miracle of the upper room wasn't just the fact that other people were speaking in languages that they had never spoken in. That's one miracle. But the fact that the gospel was being spoken in languages meeting everyone right where they were at. You know, we, we, within Christianity, the whole concept of speaking in tongues or speaking in languages kind of becomes, ooh, ooh. You know, people debate and get nervous and all this stuff. And, you know, there's been abuse of it. There's been all this stuff. But, but let me, can I tell you that every time a man or a woman gets up into this pulpit and preaches that there's tongues being spoken? Why? Because I can get up and preach a sermon with my limited dialogue and my limited vocabulary, and you're going to hear it and receive something from it, but you're going to hear it and receive something totally different that meets you right where you're at, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to receive something that you need. And you're gonna, Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the good word of God and he splits it up to, to communicate however he needs to. That's the miracle of Pentecost is that God will meet you right where you are at and he will communicate however he needs to to get to you. Amen? All right, so let's all stand. This is the, that's the foundation for Pentecost. Now, we're not done. We're not done with Pentecost. Trust me, we're gonna build on top of this. But Pentecost, the basics of Pentecost is this. God was ratifying a brand new covenant and he did it exactly the way he did it with Moses and that whole group. And he did it in a way so that the Jews in the upper room could go, aha, I get it. I hear you. I see it. God's doing something incredible. When he gave his word and his law at Sinai, it was to teach them how to conduct their lives socially, politically, spiritually. It was to teach them how to love God and how to love each other. Well, According to Jeremiah, he has placed his law, his word now via the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's only going to tell you what he hears the Father say. So you have a direct bat phone, as it were, right to God. And so now he has placed his spirit in you to help conduct your life, to teach you how to love him and how to love each other. That's why... I don't have to get up and give you a list of rules. If you're going to be part of gathering church, here's a list of rules. You know, and it's three books long, like the, the law of Moses. No, why? Because I understand that if he has placed his Holy Spirit in you, then the Holy Spirit is going to, as the Bible says, lead and guide you into all truth. Because it's the Holy Spirit that sits there. Have you ever sat there and been, been, been doing your best to walk with God, and then all of a sudden... You want to pop off at somebody because they make you mad and there's something in you that goes, shh, no, keep your mouth shut. That's the Holy Spirit. You don't need a law for that. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you that. Have you ever been walking along, minding your own business and all of a sudden God, like it's like someone shines a spotlight on someone in need 
and you go, oh, I need to meet that need. Well, you didn't need a rule book for me to tell you, hey, meet people's needs. It's the Holy Spirit in you, the law of God that's prompting you to do that. That's the power of Pentecost. We have all now been empowered with his law via his Holy Spirit, and he ratified it just like he did with Moses. His covenant's awesome. Man, I love how faithful God is, amen? Can we just praise him for a second? Because he is our solid rock, and we're gonna worship one more time, amen? Let's pray before we sing. Lord, I love you with all my heart. I thank you because you are so serious about your promise and your covenant with us that you would go through great lengths, sometimes even pyrotechnic experiences to make sure we understand that you are God and that when you claimed us as your people and you permitted us to receive you as our God, nothing, nothing can change that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's not asked Jesus to be Lord of their life, that your spirit just woos them closer. Allow them to make that decision today. If there's anyone here who needs healing in their body, Lord, I, I pray that you move on their behalf. If anyone needs encouragement, healing in their mind, their heart, their soul, Lord, you are the mender. Father, I speak unity amongst families. I speak faith amongst believers, and I speak joy for those who are going through a storm. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. amen. Let's praise him as a family one more time before we leave today.